Let's talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Hey, oh, let's go. Hey, oh, let's go. Hey, oh, let's go. Hey, oh, let's go. The moment in the same time. You're going through a time one. You keep the little never mind. Let's speak about the The bottom in the back seat. The generation in it. The face in the back seat. Hello, and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtle through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time, we're taking a look at Spider-Man Homecoming, released in June 2017, when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach writing to the University of Manchester to complain about no platforming, Martin Scorsese's The Snowman, not that one, or Jennifer Aniston returning to Broadway in a cameo as a dog in 24-hour plays instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and here's what I had to say about Spider-Man Homecoming when I live-tweeted my Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. Possibly a little too one-note for its length, but that's the only real criticism. Pleasantly rough and energetic, and thrilling to see Peter Parker depicted as a gawky kid, because that's how he always came across in the comics. Vulture is an interesting choice of villain, quote marks, too. That's what I had to say about it, though. And joining me to give her thoughts on Spider-Man Homecoming is writer Anna Kale. Anna, where can people find you? I'm usually on hanging about on Twitter, tweeting about my shenanigans there with uh, writing and various things. But I've got various articles on film and culture on BFI and Little White Lies and lots of other places. So I'm also writing a book as well. When this goes out, it probably will be finished. And that's a biography of Diana Dawes and should be out about this time next year, I think. Well, I'm looking forward to that, but I know that Diana Dawes never appeared in anything that would warrant the answer we're going to get to my first question, which is, <laughs> Anna, what happens in Spider-Man Homecoming? It it was an interesting mix for me. I liked the mix of kind of half high school come of age rom com and kind of high energy superhero film. Well, it sounds like we're going to get an interesting answer to this one too. So, Anna, what did you know about Spider Man before you saw this film? So, I knew about Spider Man mainly from cartoons from my childhood on TV rather than any of the kind of more recent films. I mean, I have to be honest here, I'm more, my tastes are more kind of Bergman than Spider Man <laughs> uh, normally when it comes to films. So, I haven't really kind of caught many of his film outings in recent years even the kind of late 90s early 2000s stuff that was was around I, I didn't go to see those either so it's a really long time since I've watched anything to do with Spider-Man it probably would have been a mid-80s cartoon well that brings me into what I'd really better explain the background to this film because it is quite complicated there, obviously there have been like you mentioned a number of attempts at doing Spider-Man in various forms before this there's the late 70s TV series which gets nearly everything wrong there's the like you say, the early 2000s films where I have varying opinions of them. Some of them are really good, some of them not so good. There have been all kinds of cartoons and so on. But as somebody who was obsessed with Spider-Man as a very young child, I always felt they weren't actually Spider-Man as I knew him. He was older, he wasn't as wisecracking, didn't really get his character nailed down, I think. And this was really, to me, the first time they ever managed to do that, to get that, like I say, here's a gawky kid who mm. has this alter ego as basically a vigilante where he becomes, when he's got the mask on, much more confident, much funnier, much more capable of standing up to people. And that was explored quite a lot in the comics, where I'll come back to things like this later, but there was a period where he had a kind of romance with another vigilante called the Black Cat, who loved Spider-Man, 
didn't like Peter Parker when he was entirely out of oh. costume, found him really annoying. So that's, you know, they played <laughs> around with that a lot. And this is the first time they did it. I mean, obviously being introduced in Captain America Civil War kind of was a surprise. But this was the whole thing about Sony still owned the rights to Spider-Man from those early 2000s films. And they had to broker a deal with Marvel where it's all a little bit hazy, but it had to be a substantially different interpretation of the various characters featured in sort of mm. both franchises. And I think that's part of the reason why they went back to the original Peter Parker from the comics. They didn't do the origin story. They made people like Aunt May, who I'm sure we're going to talk about, really different to how they are in the comics and the previous films. Without all that prior knowledge, what mm. do you make of it as an actual film? I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. And I think you're right about about Peter Parker and the way he becomes a he's like an excitable puppy isn't he you know he's really excited about the prospect of kind of working for the watch me call it the what 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 do you call it the industry thing you can tell I watch a lot of these films yeah he's really excited about it he kind of wants to do the right thing and you know I think we've all been there haven't we with that kind of thing of gaining confidence when we assume a different identity as a young person as a teenager and he came across it as a teenager to me like you said nerdy teenager and kind of awkward and this person that he takes on as Spider-Man gives him that confidence to really become himself. As I said at the beginning, there's a lot of similarities with high school coming of age films. You know, that kind of that journey that a character takes, you know, a young person finding themselves and finding their place in a societal bubble, be it high school or be it, you know, a superhero kind of environment, whatever it is, finding your way in, in, in that world. And I think that really came across in the film and I really enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I, I was expecting nothing. You know, I had no expectations and any prior expectations about what it'd be like I just really enjoyed it as a film and yeah it was that balance of the action on screen although there was a lot of that I mean we might come to that you know my head was spinning a little bit with that side of things but the basics of it when you take it back to the bare bones it's a story of a teenager coming of age and finding themselves the high school setting I think was really clever really interesting to kind of tie it into that and the tropes that come along with that as well and yeah I just I really enjoyed it it was, it was a great enjoyable film yeah like you say the high school setting is really important important and i think they got it totally quite right again it's possibly linked to the fact they had to do something different with the characters but a lot of the classmates mm. were in the comics are still in the comics but yeah. they're kind of rooted in how they were originally created in the 60s and 70s there's something a bit out of touch about them in the mm. comic universe which is fine in there but here they've made them more believable modern kids for example MJ I don't know whether you're familiar with Mary Jane from the comics or not who's Peter's mm. on-off love interest she is as unlike MJ as it's possible to be I mean Zendaya basically steals the whole film for me yeah she's yeah. so good at that sardonic character who we get to see it's not even she exposes her vulnerability she willingly shows mm. her human side when anyone interact with it. I think they all do that as well but they're really believable characters and they do things like you know okay it's a couple of years old and maybe this is a little bit out of date now but at the time those kids whatsapping each other using the actual whatsapp not a weird facsimile it was absolutely hmm. on the money I think yes but yeah it's interesting how like you say it brings in that modern aspect of being a young person within that setting and that you know yes this is a different world in many ways but equally it's the same world that we all have lived through and we've all been to school and we've all been in that kind of environment and that yeah that kind of cast of characters that you get in any school and any kind of group of friends it was lovely actually I enjoyed that I spotted you know for me a lot of references to previous high school movies particularly John Hughes films from the 80s you know 
it used a lot of those kind of uh, traditional tropes of the high school film but I think it used them really well and kind of interspersed that with his you know his other life and his, his kind of way of, you know I think they brought the two together quite well you know it could have been a massive clash between that world and, and him you know jumping off rooftops and, and doing his thing actually I think it, they paced it well in terms of having the two because he is a, a double character in that way you, you can kind of play it that way and I enjoyed those references to, to your typical high school film you know you had your detention session you had your high school party that he wasn't invited to originally and you know you're trying to get into the party you had you know the build up to a big event which was obviously the homecoming you know kind of dance at the end of term I think they did that really well and um, kind of bringing those in but not self-reverentially they kind of actually it worked really well yeah because it is very totally different I mean a lot of the films are totally very different to each other you know they go into different genres different styles entirely deliberately but this is the first one that's been like like you say like a teen movie with that energy that rough-edged approach to the direction and acting and so on and that is signposted right from the start because yes. it opens with Captain America Civil War is quite a serious film where you know these adult superheroes are at each other's throats and they're all fighting in an airport and they bring in a couple of outsiders like Ant-Man and Spider-Man which is later referenced as deliberate hang on there's an Ant-Man and the Spider-Man that's quite a full-on battle scene Peter who is a YouTube star in this incarnation of Spider-Man has <laughs> made a YouTube video of it with doing an amusing commentary over the top and that just completely sets it apart even though Robert Downey Jr as Tony Stark's Iron Man does appear a lot in this mm, yeah, it's very yeah. explicit that this is a different world this yes. is as I'll mention in a bit, this is the street level characters now coming into it. You know, that aren't the big yeah. superheroes that are looking after their own neighbourhoods. And I mean, straight from the, I say straight from the off, on the Blu-ray, it starts with Peter banging on about how exciting the Blu-ray features are as an unskippable menu. <laughs> I think there was always that kind of, not quite to the extent of characters like She-Hulk and Deadpool, but there was a kind of nod to the audience in Spider-Man. And again, they do it in this as well. To an extent, he doesn't directly address the camera, but mm. there are kind of acknowledgements of the fact that it is entertainment, it is know a comic on the big screen yeah absolutely it's a lot of fun you know there's, there's a real fun element to it it's interesting talking about the tony stark character and how that was used and that really like you say he was in it quite a lot and he was this he's such a hero to peter parker and that feeling that palpable feeling when peter feels he disappointed him we've all felt that haven't we that's someone you really admire and really look up to that you kind of you know his appearances you, you really feel that how peter must be feeling really confused and, and wanting to do the right thing but not quite getting there it was stage he says to Tony I wanted to be just like you and he just replies I wanted you to be better and it's kind of yeah you kind of really feel that thing of when you're young and you're trying to make a good impression with someone you really look up to and just keep getting it wrong and yeah that kind of yeah there was a real feeling to it you know the, the character of Peter I, I think and that relationship between him and, and Tony was really great and it does bring in possibly the most interesting aspect of the whole film for me which this is going to sound weird but I'm hoping that you didn't notice it because it will prove my theory about getting this kind of thing right for you know casual viewers who aren't you know that have a long history of reading comics aren't that invested in it there's a bit where they talk about tony's trying to persuade him to keep away from i mean because the basic plot line is again somebody we'll talk about in a minute adrian tombs the vulture is basically an arms dealer dealing in leftover debris from the previous two avengers films things like Jatari <laughs> metal one of ultron's arms and so on. he's making weapons out of them and selling them and tony obviously thinks it's too dangerous and tells peter to keep away from it and says mm. there are people who deal with this kind of thing 
to which Peter asks the Avengers and he says that's a little below their pay grade. Now, normally, although they reference the films a lot in the Marvel TV shows, they consciously don't do it the other way round for a particular reason, which is quite logically, they think anyone who's watching the TV shows will have seen the films. But people mm. who are just going to see, oh, I like the look of the new Captain America film, I'll go and see that, might not have sat through all of Iron Fist. Let's put yeah. it that way. So they don't often reference the TV shows. I mean, they do occasionally. But that is a, almost a specific reference to The Defenders came out on Netflix almost at the same time as this. Right, and, okay. You know, they're all kind of vigilante street level characters teaming up. And in actually the first series of Luke Cage, we do encounter some of the buyers of Adrian Toomes' hardware who use it to try and take down Luke. I think that was a specific nod to what was going on with the Netflix characters. And I'm guessing in a good way, it probably didn't register with you at all. <laughs> no, not at all, unfortunately. Yeah. So does that prove your theory then? Well, it does, because I think they handle this sort of thing really well. Because, you know, you have got this. It's quite odd, really, because Spider-Man is probably the biggest of the vigilante characters. And there was speculation at one point that he would show up in the Netflix shows. But my opinion, even at the time, was, you know, well, they've had enough of a right headache getting him in the Marvel films. Imagine doing it on the tv as well but he is part of that darker more low-key universe despite how funny and energetic the film might be where you've got people like jessica jones the punisher cloak and dagger shang chi who prowl mm. the streets looking for the real bad guys which is what peter's doing here that brings us round to adrian tombs isn't necessarily a bad guy as such. And apparently no. Michael Keaton said that he had a lot of close meetings with the producers because he wanted the character's motivation to be as a father, not yeah. somebody who just wanted to hurt New York. And I think that's very true. I think they came across very well. He wants better for his family and he yeah. wants to protect them by arming other people, which might sound strange, but it's logical to him. And he expects Peter to agree with him as well. Yeah, so obviously without the background to the characters and me coming out this kind of fresh, I wasn't sure at first whether my Keaton's character was the baddie i thought is he just like a, a semi you know kind of bad person what you know is he just what's he going to be what what was that character i was really interested to kind of see the development of it on the screen because i wasn't sure who he was and what he was there to do how it was obviously going to be a, a big part of the film and that relationship between him uh peter you know the daughter that kind of triangle you know kind of sitting in, in the middle of that film and bringing the two things together for peter but yeah i wasn't wholly convinced that he was the baddie at first it's it's just a bit dodgy, you know, but not like going to be an out and out baddie going to try and kill Peter and, you know, bump him off or whatever. It was, yeah, it was interesting to see that character. It was very complex, I think, as a, as a character. Michael Keaton was, was great, I thought, you know, I, I quite like seeing him in, in stuff now. Now he's aged and <laughs> weathered, you know, it's kind of interesting seeing him in another superhero film years after Batman. I know it's a separate world. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's really interesting to kind of see how he played that character and, and how that interacted with Peter and his experience and of course he actually comes good in we'll come back to right at the end one of the post-credit scenes where mm. he shows that he's not actually evil after all and there are all kinds of interesting supporting characters like obviously it's the whole thing of the rights issue but donald glover is essentially playing plunderer but not as plunderer because he's in the sony films is into into the spider-verse actually plunderer is in that he's just an ordinary henchman in this who phones mm. his nephew miles 
who is one of the other Spider-Men. So that's interesting, acknowledging that Miles Morales is out there. But the real tremendous supporting character is Marissa Tomei as Aunt May, who... Oh, is she great? Yeah. In the comics, she was obviously, she was always a very elderly woman. And they've made her basically, not quite a soccer mom, but, you know, that kind of young, vivacious, middle-aged woman. And I think that suits the tone of Peter Parker's character much more. They can relate to each other more easily. Yeah, yeah, that relationship is, is interesting. It took me a while to kind of get my head around that relationship again because obviously, like I said, it's years since I've thought about Spider-Man and that kind of that the backstory. Yeah, it was. I was trying to kind of figure it out at first because it wasn't obviously explicit as what their relationship was. But yeah, she was great actually. Yeah, like you say, it kind of fitted the tone and their relationship fitted the tone of the film. It was a very modern feeling kind of relationship between the two characters and kind of yeah, like fitted with the situation that Peter is in. You know, in terms of his age and the kind of his journey. scenes before which I really wanted to talk about because one thing that really stood out to me was you know in all the other big Marvel films you've got there are incredible they're usually car chases but they're very mm-hmm. high tech and there's yeah, things yeah. like people skidding down the highway on Captain America's shield and so on here they are more rough and tumble the one yeah. that stood out to me is where he's being alternately being dragged along by and dragging along a truck and mm. it's just it's absolutely just flat out that's what it is there's no yeah. enhancements to it nothing going on in the background it is him versus a truck and I really enjoyed that more low key low tech approach to those scenes yeah it was really interesting yeah he's kind of quite visceral isn't it and it's kind of um, the way that, that comes across that this is a lad in a suit which only gives him a certain amount of protection you know a lot of it is down to him and his strength of character and mind in order to harness the powers he's been given and really understand what it is that he can now do or can't do and he's coming to terms with his situation as he's in the action so you know he's kind of you're not convinced there's going to be a, a necessarily a good outcome and you really feel like you say that feeling of it being rough and red the street level kind of aspect to the the violence and the, those kind of set pieces for me you know not being someone who watches a lot of these kind of films there are a lot of set pieces for me it's quite a long film and it was again and again and again it kind of felt okay okay we'll go through another one okay there's another one now you know what when, when we're gonna have the big new one when we're gonna have the big one you know kind of thing it was kind of like yeah bumping along every so often you, know, you kind of have these uh, set piece scene and the kind of like the action and that kind of thing and i'm wondering is that the last one is it you know that kind of thing so so it's kind of it's different for me and my experience of, of watching films but it was fine you know, I enjoyed it and like you say there was a kind of a rawness to those films which was really interesting and I've only seen a couple of the other films in the series and like you say they weren't like that they were like you know proper slick kind of action sequences really high tech really kind of smooth this is really different and you felt it 
I think you really felt how, what Peter was feeling as he was going through those situations. And there is a broad streak of comedy running throughout it as well. I mean, my favourite yeah. scene is where he gets trapped in a storage vault and can't get out because of a timer lock. And yeah. he starts testing all the features of the new suit that Tony Stark's given him where he doesn't know what they are. <laughs> no, exactly. The dodge, like bouncing webs and so on. I liked his relationship with his suit. I thought it was great the way he talked and, and the fact that he built a relationship and a friendship with the voice of the suit. I thought that was wonderful. The suit ended up giving him love life advice. I think that's wonderful actually. A really nice little touch. But you find that in, again, going back to that thing of it being a dual approach to the film, you have that. The nerdy character in a high school film usually has someone they can talk to and confide in. Sometimes it's the, the strangest person, you know, it's like someone completely random who just, you know, is kind of comes in and steals the show kind of thing. In this film, it was his suit and the voice of it. And it's kind of, yeah, it was nice to have that element brought in as well for him. And kind of, yeah, but that scene was really funny. I really enjoyed that. Although the suit's advice doesn't really work because at the end, while he's gained in terms of he's defeated the big bad, he's been asked to join the Avengers and turn them down yeah. because he wants to stay on the street. But he doesn't get the girl. In fact, no. he doesn't twice. He doesn't get Liz Toombs because she's broken by her father being exposed. And he doesn't get MJ because she's still MJ. And so he's still, to him, that's the more important thing, that he's unlucky in love, that he's yeah. lost out that way. And again, that is quite relatable, really. Yeah, maybe he's more comfortable with that, actually, than having the success. Maybe he feels that's, yeah, a more comfortable position to be in. Maybe there's a kind of, again, a lack of confidence in, you know, pursuing those relationships. It's easier to just kind of go back to being on the streets and do something that way rather than actually confronting your feelings. I might be reading too much into that. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, because they did explore that a little more in the second one and doubtless they will in the third one where the interesting thing now is for all those rumours that he turned up on the Netflix shows, people are now speculating that's what they do with the Netflix characters. They'll be incorporated into the Spider-Man franchise, which will be really interesting to see. But yeah, they kept up that exploration of Peter's, well, not human side, but non-Spider side, I should mm. say. That's the best way of putting it. And also is resistant to being a big hero. I mean, people yeah. mock the, which does appear in this briefly, the 60s Spider-Man theme song <laughs> as a bit of silliness. But it does have the lyrics, friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man and wealth and fame he's ignored, action is his reward. Yeah. He's basically the character. He doesn't want is, all yeah. of that. He wants Absolutely. He yeah. Spider-Man and that's it on his own terms. Yeah. But you've got to remember, he is a lad. He's a young lad. I can't remember how old he's supposed to be in this film, but he's at high school. You know, he's a young nerdy lad. Yeah, I, I, actually, the, those lyrics make perfect sense in the way that this character's explored. Yeah, he, he's kind of taking a step back from the big stuff because he's actually enjoying himself doing the small stuff. And he does eventually join the Avengers, but in the middle of space. I'm saying nothing more about that. <laughs> no way of not joining. But that's that's quite a way in the future. And um, we've got quite a few post-credit scenes here. I mean, you've already mentioned Aunt May's what the abrupt yeah. edit when she finds him in the suit. There's also, as we alluded to, Adrian Toomes is confronted in prison by other less reputable characters who've heard that he knows who Spider-Man is. Mm. And he denies it flat out. Yeah, I think I kind of expected that, given... The way that those characters interact and are explored it's like we know that peter as spider-man saved his life 
So therefore, there's kind of a, I think as a character, it's about that. It's about honour, you know, it's, it's about honouring that, that and the fact that he did the right thing by his daughter for both, you know, both him and Peter need to do the right thing by her. She's the focus, she's the main thing. The fact that Peter saved his life, you, you know, in that scene when he's confronted in prison, to me, uh, anyway, I assumed he was going to deny that he knew or he'd do, you know, that he wouldn't expose him basically because of the honour involved in now in that relationship. And I think it's interesting, you know, that that's why that, that character's interesting to me is because there is that kind of complexity about it, not just a straightforward one-dimensional baddie that you, you often get in films there's a, a complexity to that and an inner turmoil probably about what you should do but ultimately it's about that honor and the honor of that relationship that they've now formed between themselves between him and peter and it is important that he saved him as well because yeah. when you think of some of the other street level characters like jessica jones or the punisher would have had no hesitation in taking him out it's, mm. like, it's one less bad guy ruining other people's lives but Peter does not want to I mean there's a whole famous thing about in the comics he quite often deliver villains to the police like tied up and gagged with a note <laughs> on them saying with love from Spider-Man you know, he, yeah. he wasn't in it to eradicate them just to put the bad guys where they belong yeah, that's really interesting. That kind of it's quite an old fashioned way of dealing with crime, isn't it? Letting the authorities take over a bit of an old fashioned way of viewing. But he's a young lad. He probably, you know, he, he will kind of think of those authority figures as the ones who are going to do the real work after he's kind of done his bits and contributed. Again, maybe it's about the glory as well, you know, kind of not quite finishing the job himself kind of takes the focus away from him a little bit. But the job's still done. The, the bad guys are still going to be in custody or whatever. And the very last post credit scene, which yeah. I absolutely loved. Again, it's saying yeah. this is a different film to everything else. It's just been the running thing throughout of Captain America doing public service announcements. Yeah. And, you know, there is a thing about, because obviously at the end of Civil War, he was in contravention of the Sokovia Accords and couldn't operate as Captain America. And the teacher who shows it to them says, I think this guy's a war criminal or something now, but whatever. <laughs> but it ends with one of the PSAs with him coming out of character at the end of the shoot and resenting having to do it. Again, it's interesting to put Captain America, who's been quite austere in the rest of the films, in that funny postmodern position without breaking the character. It's still him. They're not messing with it but they've put him into this context superbly. Yeah, that, that was really, it's a really funny running joke through the film. And, I, I, you know, obviously having seen a couple of the films before, I knew there was this thing of a couple of post-credit scenes. You know, I knew that the, the one with Keaton in prison wasn't the last one and I was waiting for the very end. And it was really funny. And, and I love the fact that in that video that he made at the end, it was referencing about patience. <laughs> And that thing of, you know, sitting through all of those end credits, waiting for that last scene. I thought it was wonderfully, yeah, it, it was a wonderfully witty kind of way of ending it. I found that very amusing, the, that little running joke all the way through the film. But that at the end was, was particularly hilarious. OK, well, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Anna, if you had spider sense, what would you use it for? Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I would bring the, the bad people to justice. And yeah, kind of use it for good. And But I think actually, like Peter, I wouldn't be too showy about it. I'd quite like the idea of just, you know, knowing I, I could do these things, but not necessarily showing. So, well, if certain people in the news at the moment get brought down, we might be able to point a couple of fingers at you. <laughs> <laughs> Anna, thank you. And Excelsior. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this, Don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.